Good evening and welcome to Italian Impact Weekly coming to you from Robert Morris University. I'm your host Steve Stefano Mancini. And my name is Claudio Relsano. And you know we've been talking about our guest today for quite a while, promoting it, and um, he means a ton to me. Not just professionally, but personally. He has had so much impact in my life, both professionally and personally. And he's always been very kind to me and always had time for me to do shows. And I read stuff from him every day. I watch his interviews every day. And uh, again, I cannot tell you what a thrill it is to interview the greatest race car driver ever and icon in, in life. And that is Mr. Mario Andretti. Mario, thank you so much for being on the show. It's my pleasure, Claudio. Hi, Steve. Hey, Mario. I'm, I'm not going to lie. If I'm allowed to be as giddy as a schoolgirl, I'm as giddy as a schoolgirl because this is awesome to talk to you. So we really appreciate you coming on the show tonight. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Uh, Mario, you have some quotes that I live by. We're going to start off with that. And the one that uh, is connected to you the most probably, I'd like you to explain it a little bit further. And that is, if you have everything under control, you are not going fast enough. Please explain that one for our fans. Yeah, if you have ever. If everything seems under control, you're just not going fast enough. That's that's the correct one. Okay. <laughs> that's what's in my book. Okay. okay. And uh, it basically, uh, when we were, uh, the author and myself, you know, were putting together the, the book uh, that uh, came out after my exit from uh, IndyCar Racing in 1994, uh, the author asked me, Mario, <clears throat> Explain to me qualifying. And uh, this is the only way I could put it. Uh, you know, like when you're trying, when you're qualifying for a race or, you know, trying to set a record, I mean, uh, you got it all on the line and you're right at the edge of disaster, but you're staying there. I mean, you're still there. You, you cannot leave an ounce on the table, not half of 1%. And uh, and that's it. That's the way I was saying. You know, it's uh, qualifying is everything seems under control. You're just not going faster. You have to be almost almost to the to the point of uh, disaster, if you will. Okay. And uh, it can, you know, I'll tell you something else. <clears throat> when they used to have uh, at the uh, the beginning of some of the motor racing events and wide world of sports, they used to have this. Um, uh, Austrian downhill Hans Klammer coming down the hill when he set a, a record on a downhill skiing, and I mean, talk about out of control. But you know, and that came to mind. And uh, I was driving in Austria in Formula One, and uh, with Nicky Lauda at dinner one night, he had Hans Klammer there, and I had a great time just chatting with him. You know, because of that, that stood with me you know it's just a, uh what it takes you know to to set a record so there you go okay. that's uh that's a that's a long version of that no no that's good particular comment now the other one uh you've said it numerous times but especially on the segment that uh, you're talking to the young mario which i loved that that piece but um something that i'm working on uh is don't burn bridges uh explain that one why did you come up with that one why did you say that i think it's very important in life uh what uh, you know you have a lot of uh relationships that you, you develop and especially in a very competitive community 
Uh, you go from from our standpoint, you go from team to team. Uh, you change sponsors and so forth. And sometimes even the team that you change that you've not been as successful as you want it to be, uh, you know, separate or go away amicably because you never know when you have to revisit the situation. And I've seen examples of just being the opposite, you know. And, uh, and again, uh, it's you see, uh, I'm looking in a context of uh, the sport, our, our sport. It's worldwide, but it's just one very close family. And uh, everybody knows, you know, everybody else is on us for So uh, sooner or later you have an opportunity to revisit and sometimes you revisit situations where not as uh, as you know as happy uh, as you would have wanted, but at the same time, uh, never really go away in a sour way because you may have to come back and then and sometimes put things right anyway. So okay, that's the way I look at it. And, and finally, on the quotes part of it, uh, years ago you were asked your biggest fear, and you said poverty. Which is is mine, obviously. Besides health and you know my family, something happening then. But poverty, uh, I always worry about taking care of my family. That's that's number one for me. That's why I do all the things that I do. Uh, tell us why you said that. Well, <clears throat> so many things uh, happen in our lives. Even you know uh, uh, during my formative years, uh, you know uh, it started in uh, after the war in Italy. Uh, the region where I was born uh, was occupied by Yugoslavia, uh, you know, in 1947. And, uh, and you know, my dad lost everything, everything. And actually, uh, it was a choice, either succumb to communism and then uh, and, and work for the state and give up everything that you own. And, um, you know, you own seven farm over, you know, 2,000 acres and so on and so forth, 2,100 actually, to be exact. And uh, and then, you know, here we're in a refugee camp and uh, in our own country, you know, for seven and a half years. And um, unemployment, you know, was uh, rampant, you know, after the war and all that. And so anyway, uh, and it's that thing, like how he had to fight to sort of to get back and provide for the family, which he always did. As kids, we always went to the best school. We were always dressed well, you know. We were never hungry, never cold. You know what I mean? But, sure. but it was always that limit. And then we came to the states and start from scratch and all that. And uh, and that's one thing. And one, when I got married, uh, I was married young, had a family young, and I was uh, uh, in a game in a sport that uh, obviously uh, was much more danger dangerous than it is today. So I wanted to be able to provide and make sure that something happens to me, you know, my family's cared for and so on and so forth. So, and and that brought back the the trust, you know, back to potentially, you know, leaving my wife and kids, you know, uh, in a poverty situation. So I, you know, what I mean, so. Uh, as much as I, you know, everybody said, okay, I love driving a race car, you know, more than anything. And I always said, I never did it just for the money, but, but that's the only way that I could make a living. And I always went for the big, 
pie, you know, like right. uh, the best contract, the best that I could, sure. and, and then I tried to produce. So, you know, it was that kind of a thing. No, I can certainly appreciate that mentality for sure. Steve? Well, Barrio, again, that's a, you know, it's a very interesting point because a lot of, I think, one of the things that Claudia always talked about is kind of like that story that everyone has. You know, not everyone, they see Mario Andretti now. They don't see Mario Andretti as a kid. They don't see what you came out of and the work that you had to put into that. I'm curious, was there a point in your career when you when you thought, okay, I made it, I'm good, and now I'm just doing this, you know, I don't want to say for fun, but I'm just doing it for the extra money, for fun. But was there a point in your life when you realized, okay, I made it, we're not going to be poor? Yes, yes. As a matter of fact, uh, there were different stages of my career where I felt and I when I had time to reflect and look back, what if this would have happened? What if that one? It's almost like a launching pad because, you know, in any, you know, sporting profession, I mean, uh, you know, there's no way you can be, you can predict anything. And, uh, and, but there are certain levels that propel you to the next level, you know, and uh, you're coming through the ranks and then, uh, uh, and I, you know, when I was, you know, when I started racing, Aldo and I, my twin brother, he, we won our first race. Oh my goodness, you know. And then we, we you know, we kept winning, crashing, everything. Else, but we won our first race. Uh, and when I moved into, uh, you know, midgets, when I wanted to come out of uh, stock cars and we're going to open wheel, and I won the biggest race in uh, in the three quarter midgets, and then. After that, the next thing was full-size midgets, and here on the Labor Day, 63, 23 years of age, I won three features in one day, which launched me into the next direction of uh, in the sprint cars to go into top level. And there I won the 100-lapper in, in Indiana, Salem, Indiana, uh, with uh, the Foyts, Parnelli Jones, and all the top drivers there, Don Branson, here I win, and that that brought me to the top level. You see what I mean? It just right. it's moments like that in life that you feel, you know what? Maybe I belong here. And and I tell you another one. You know, in the back of my mind, because I fell in love with the motor racing, as I told you, when I was still, you know, just a, a youngster, a, a young teenager, uh, still living in Italy, and uh, and my absolute idol, Alberto Scotti, you know, world champion in the 50s and so forth. And uh, so Formula One was always in the back of my mind, you know, that someday in my career I want to do Formula One. And then when I had the opportunity in 1968, and my first Grand Prix was at Watkins Glen, and I put the car on pole. And that was, I was as surprised as anybody else. Who was next to me? Jackie Stewart, world champion. Mm. And so when you when you go home that night, when you reflect on things, you, know, you go back to the hotel, really, had to race the next day, uh, and you think, you know what? Maybe I do belong here. Maybe, uh, you see what I mean? It's, right. you know, it almost validates what you're trying to do because there's always some doubt. You know, I mean, you don't want to take, you know, there's always some doubt. I wonder if I'm good enough. I wonder if this and that. And whenever something like this happens, 
that's when they figure, you know what, maybe I do belong here, and I'm fine. I'm loving this. I mean, oh, thank you. Uh, you, you see what I mean? Right. Those are the incredible moments in your life. It sounds like you were just taking it almost, I want to say almost sound like the cliche of one race at a time, and then as you're winning, you're kind of realizing, wow, I'm pretty good. And then, you know, it, it's, it's got to be interesting to just look back. I mean, you've obviously you've had a one of the best careers, if not the best career ever, and to look back at that, it's got to be something. But, I mean, even during that time, was there a point where you said, okay, I can't do this forever, though? You know, did you did you have those moments ever happen, like maybe later on in your career? Well, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you know, I was very fortunate, very, very fortunate in, in my career to, uh, to have been able to, uh, you know, to sort of uh, continue and, and 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 somehow not be involved in in accidents that could have set me back uh, terribly. I only missed two races in my entire career because of uh, of injuries, and uh, and so uh, I and I didn't want to quit. I mean, I, I that was the toughest decisions ever you could imagine. But I was pushing the envelope big time. I mean, I was at top level, like in Indy cars, for instance. And uh, I was the oldest driver, still am the oldest driver to win an Indy car race at age 53. But at age 54, I felt, you know what, before I start, you know, for some reason, and that you never know when that moment comes, when you're not as competitive as you want it to be, I didn't want to have those memories you know, negative memories of my career. So I made a decision to retire at 54. And that came to a surprise even to my wife because I, that's probably the only thing I didn't talk about. I just uh, I wanted to make that decision myself. And um, it's really, really tough. I didn't want to give up racing. And, uh, you know, was, but, you know, I gave up uh, in Basically, I retired from open wheel, but then I drove at least four Le Mans races, and I won, you know, in 1995, uh, I won uh, the 24 Hours of Le Mans class, and uh, I finished second overall of a class, and so at least I was scratching my itch, if you will. Right. You know, I, I was, you know, I gave up, you know, the main top level of, of the sport, but I was still... You know, just dabbling in it, and then even until you know, years I still driving a two-seater race car. Still, you know, still want to you know <laughs> have some involvement in it, and uh, that part will never leave me. I don't think. I think uh, you know when 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 that's no longer desired, and uh, they put me in a box. <laughs> you know, that's funny because um, a lot of people. They say, oh, this athlete needs to retire. They need to retire. It's like, it, well, that's your life. That's your passion. You can't just, I don't think people understand you can't just walk away. It's easy for me to sit on the sidelines and go, oh, that quarterback's too old or, or he's too old to race. But you're the one that has to make that decision. And, and, and you yeah, said it, until yeah. I can't compete, I'm going to do something to keep, you know, to keep, keep my passion alive. Yes, yes. You know, uh, Mario, Greg Norman, the golfer, said that he wanted to prepare his career, his post-career, golf career, when he was no longer number one golfer in the world, and that stuck with me. I know for me with baseball, I want to prepare, even though I've been coaching now for 40 years, 
Um, one of these days, baseball, either professionally or collegiately, isn't going to want me, or maybe just maybe I may not want it. So I'm trying to prepare for down the road. I'm getting involved in speaking, of course, and a bunch of shows. You know all the things I do. I send them to you all the time. But um, was there something that you wanted to do when racing was finished? Well, I didn't have a clear picture, quite honestly, but uh, I always felt that uh, with all the relationships that, uh, you know, that obviously I developed uh, through my years, uh, something will come up. And then here was another event where, uh, you know, one of the top, uh, uh, I should say, executives uh, in one of the oil companies that uh, were part of a sponsorship uh, uh, because of movements in the company, uh, he was deciding not to continue with the company and then uh, look at uh, some other opportunities. And uh, and and I decided to uh, say, so you know what, so let's have a drink. Uh, and I uh, said, so, you know, so I don't know what your stipend is. I said, but I'm going to, I want to hire you. I give you a 20% raise. I had no idea what the hell he was making. could have been making <laughs> millions. I said, but uh, I want you to, to to come to work with me and he said doing what i said i have no idea <laughs> i said but we'll develop something and uh, you know something a man like that with pride he wasn't just going to take the money he came up with a plan and the plan turned out to be uh, a life-changing situation as far as the business uh that we developed and it's a petroleum business and uh so um I'm not going to go into those details, but I mean, it's uh, you know, it's a partnership that I have with my son Michael, and uh, and this gentleman and myself, and you know, so that gave me some uh, okay sense of uh, security, if you will. Not that I really, you know, there was not an issue, you know, as far as the financial side, but uh, uh, it also gives you another sense of purpose, you know, to just develop something. Um, and uh, surround yourself with with the right people. Uh, always very important, you know, just to have the best people in the business. Um, to, uh, the only that's the only uh, chance and opportunity you have to succeed. And um, and then you go on. And we're using, you know, we use a lot of the same basic um, um, uh, sort of uh, uh, way. To look at things like within in, in racing, this gentleman, he, like he called me every day. He's in California, our businesses are on the West Coast. So he, he called me like uh, you know, uh, eight eight o'clock, seven thirty in the morning. It's uh, three hours earlier there. You know, it, it's uh, you know, it's someone that uh, that's really on it. So it's kind of a and every time you know something. Uh, really good is happening in the business is, hey, Mario, we just won another race today. Mm-hmm. You know, we're using that aspect of it, you know, like the competitive aspect of just trying to better ourselves ourselves every single day and treat the people that are working for us, you know, in such a way that they really, really, really want to contribute and want to, you know, uh, uh, better themselves uh, have the opportunity, obviously, to uh, uh, to you know, to, to again, you know, to, to progress and all that. So all those things. How does it make you feel whenever you hear these stories of athletes who made 
millions and millions of dollars and and they lose it either one reason or another you know overspending or, or divorces or lawsuits or what drugs whatever it is they do for me it, it gets to me and it really bothers me uh, and I always worry and I always will worry I always will worry about making a buck I, I never want to be in that position my dad always used to say you know keep the wolf away from the door and um, when I hear these stories it just gets to me what, what goes through your mind when you see these well-to-do athletes just lose everything well you know it's a shame to see that, obviously, and I think uh, it spells very clearly a sense of irresponsibility. Uh, that, that's all. I, that's the only way I can put it. But it's a personal thing, you know. It's um, you know you can't fix everybody, and uh, uh, some people just uh, don't have that sense, you know, of uh, of, of <laughs> trying to do the right thing. You know sure. what I mean? They yeah. just uh, they live for the minute, and that's it. And uh, but that's. That's something that, uh, again, you, you look at them and say, that's too bad, but, uh, uh, you know, I, I have no, there's no respect, <laughs> you know, for anyone like that. Well, was your father instrumental in you having that philosophy? Like, again, my dad and my mom used to tell me, uh, you know, hide it, right? Not maybe like Marciano used to do, you know, and, and maybe not to that extreme, but that, that fear of losing everything. Did your dad, being of that uh, era, talk to you about things like that and your mom? Well, it's not that we talked. I think you see, you observe, and then, and, and uh, you see, like, uh, for instance, my dad, over and above everything else, he made sure that we are comfortable that we don't in any way uh, suffer and and I, I looking back when you reflect on those moments uh, you know what and my dad had tremendous sense of pride also mm -hmm. which that's if anything that's something that uh, I think it sort of uh, uh, was passed on you know to myself and, and to my, my brother Aldo um, and, uh, and I think that's what it takes, really. Uh, uh, it's, it's something it's to have basic desires uh, to, uh, and, and what actually, uh, what melts your butter type of thing, mm -hmm. you know what I mean, in life. <laughs> you know, what's better than being able to uh, uh, create something that's almost impossible and make, and then when you achieve something that's almost impossible, the satisfaction that you derive from that is I mean that that's a tremendous uh, feeling that um, uh, you know is unequaled. Uh, like when I started winning my first race, man, second wasn't not wasn't good enough. You know what I mean? Once you start, you know, uh, Vince Lombardi said winning isn't everything. It's the it's only the thing. only thing. That's you right. know what I mean? And that's what you go after. You're not going to win them all, but you know what? With this. Uh, this mindset, uh, your your chances are pretty damn good. <laughs> right, Steve. So let me ask you then. You know, you you mean you've had? I mean, put the career aside, even from a business perspective, a life perspective. You've just been. You seem like you've just been successful at everything, and not everybody can say that. What do you you know? What do you tell our listeners? What What are some of the just general secrets that you say? Listen, if you want to be successful in life, and success isn't always measured in money. I mean, there's different ways to be happy. You don't necessarily need $20 million in the bank to be happy. I mean, there are a lot of unhappy millionaires, and there are a lot of very happy poor people. But, 
but to be successful ultimately is some kind of happiness. What, what would you tell people? So this is, this is my opinion of how to be happy and successful in life. What does that mean to you? Well, I wish I had that formula. I would bottle <laughs> it and sell it. You know, it's, uh, I think it's uh, a lot of it is just a personal thing. I mean, in life, uh, I, you know, you know that there's nothing worthwhile in life that will will come to you unless you sacrifice and work hard for. I mean, it's uh, you're a total dreamer if you just think of that, you know. So, uh, but how badly do you want something? You know, I I was always driven by passion and a burning desire to accomplish something, and. Uh, and I was reaching for the stars, you know, obviously when the dream seemed absolutely impossible. But how do you, I mean, not every person has that, you know what I mean? So, uh, like I said, but the only thing that I say, if you really want something bad enough, just work for it, you know what, and don't have a plan B, just go for it. And uh, sooner or later, you stay on it, you're going to be able to accomplish it. That's, that's the only thing, the only formula that could work for you. There's no magic anywhere. You know, if any people think that there's magic, well, then they're dreaming and they'll continue just dreaming. <laughs> but, but, you know, what? you said something just very interesting. I've never heard anyone say they don't have a, almost don't have a plan B. Go for your plan A. I, I, that's pretty good because but the funny thing is we're here – you know, coming from a, a university studio. And so you've got a lot of students, you know, walking around here. And, um, y- you know, I, I don't know if it's a generational thing. You know, maybe everybody's, maybe everybody thinks this way. But when people are younger, it's almost like they're like chirping birds in a nest. And, and it seems to me, what I see is I don't see a lot of people seem to really have that drive anymore. I, I don't know if it's just, a, if it's just a, like I said, is it because I've gotten older now? Um, but, you know, when you, when you look back, I mean... It sounds like, did you ever not have that drive? Was this a thought, like, when you were young, were you like, all I remember was I wanted to just win race cars and start there. Is that, is that how you always seem to have been driven? As long as I remember, as long as I remember reasoning, uh, I was just captured by that, you know, that uh, motor racing was very prominent in the, in the 50s in, the, in, in Italy because, uh, you know, the, the protagonists were, you know, Ferrari, Maserati, Alfromeo, you know, and, and they get uh, Italian world champions. That really captured my imagination. And, and Aldo, my, my twin brother Aldo, the same. And, um, and even while we were in a refugee camp back, you know, still in the 50s, and we, we came over in 1955, by 1954, some friends took us to the Italian Grand Prix in Monza the Italian Grand Prix, and, and I saw first time my idol, Alberto Scotti, uh, racing, and I said, I want to be like him. You know that uh, I won Monza. That's where I actually clinched the world championship. I mean, you talk about coming full circle. Can you imagine how I felt that day when that happened? You know, it's in 1978, and, and so again, you go through life, and you said, but Going back to not having a plan B, that's exactly when this mold was cast. And uh, I, I, you know, in my own mind, if I would have said it out loud someday, you know, I like to try to be, you know, as, as a young kid, you're allowed to, to dream, right? 
But if I would have said it out loud, you know, people would laugh at you type of thing. But you're, you know, at that age, you're allowed to dream. And, uh, you know, you're talking about students. So even in our own family, you know, when you have, when they go to college and uh, you talk to them, okay, uh, what's your pursuit uh, and so on and so forth. And, and I don't want to hear, well, I'll just wait and see. I'm just trying this and that. And I think, oh, my God, you know. But when someone says, you know, we know I want to be a doctor, I want to, you know what, that's, you're going to be the best, you know, because you know where you're going. And that, that's so, so important to be able to, in life, to formulate what you want to pursue. Uh, and uh, otherwise, you just we will forever be hunting for something that's really not there. That's you know, the way I see it. we have a few more minutes here with you, but one quick comment. You know, when you said that you went to your first race with Aldo, you knew what you wanted to do, and I told you this through letters and on the show you were on before with me. August 19th, 1973, I was eight years old. I went to my first pirate game, and that day I knew what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. I didn't know if I had any talent in it or not, but I knew what I wanted to do. And, to be. Yeah, yeah and, 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 and I had no plan B. I went after it full blast. I had my parents' support, and I worked extremely hard at it and thank God things went the way they did. But um, there was a lot of adversity along the way and I was told no along the way. Um, yeah. People look at you in your career and they see the baby but they don't see the labor pains, okay? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So ending here our show, how did you and how do you deal with no and adversity? Well, here again, you just, uh, you gotta keep doing it. If you just don't give up. You know, there's always a way to skin the cat, as they say. You know, you just keep at it. You know, you have to have that uh, state of mind. You know what? Uh, uh, somehow I'm going to find a way. And, you know, I've been knocked down. I mean, uh, uh, it's, at the beginning, you know, like throughout my career, when I was trying to progress through the ranks, uh, was the one uh, sanctioning body was called United Racing, URC. I mean, uh, I was actually embarrassed, you know, by, uh, you know, some of these owners, you know, they're saying, uh, oh, you're, you know, you're not strong enough. You're, you know, you're, you're physically, you know, you're not big enough to be able to drive a sprint car. Well, Later on, you know, obviously this, you know, they never gave me a ride, but they said, oh, yeah, I thought Mario, everything, this and that. You see what I mean? It's just, uh, uh, but did I, let, did I allow that to discourage me? I mean, uh, uh, something you need, you need to know this business, but uh, in 1964, um, at the Langhorn 100, um, you know, Langhorn was the toughest race, a dirt race, because 100... 100 miler and they call the big car the champ cars and uh, I was the the first driver first one to finish the race and I was ninth but without a power steering which mm. was kind of unheard of What's you know my, my my hands were like hamburger you know like uh, blisters all over but you know what I you just you know you just do it you just do it and uh, and those are the things that uh, I mean, but it takes, uh, like I said, it takes desire. That burning, I was driven always by burning desire to achieve what I was after. And uh, and you're not going to get it done uh, uh, without that because uh, there's, like I said, there's a lot of 
stumbling blocks, a lot of bumps in the road you have to overcome. Sure. Mario, again, I want to, first I want to say grazie mille per tutto. And, you know, I, I think a lot of people look at you and they look at now and they don't understand this is a day, every day you were, you were climbing in and, and doing what you had to do to win. You didn't win every race, but you certainly won enough of them to be one of the best, if not the best driver in the history. And I, I know I speak for myself when I say it has been an absolute privilege to speak to you today. And I'm so grateful and thankful that you joined us on the show. And Claudio, you want to take us away? Mario, you, you talked about Alberto Ascari several times. And uh, trust me when I tell you, you're that for me, uh, for whatever that's worth. You. Um, well, that's- and, and I write you all the time, and I tell you when I do things, and, and you have a piece of that. As corny as that is, that, that's the way it is. You have inspired me um, for years, and, uh, again, I, I thank you from the bottom of my heart for that, and you've always had time for me for my shows and, and all that, and uh, thank you. Thank you. You're very kind. It's my pleasure. Uh-huh. Sure. And don't get tired of uh, hearing from me from my letters and stuff. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Okay. All, All right. right. Thank you again. I appreciate right, it. My pleasure. All right. Talk to you soon. Thank you again. Bye-bye. That interview went quick. I know. And, and it meant a I lot know. to me. That he, was he, fantastic. Yeah. If I'd have kept on, I'd have gotten a little well, he, too emotional. But he is—he uh, does mean that much to me. There, there are just some, some people that are just champions. Yeah. I mean, just, just as people, they're champions. Yeah, and you that's can just right. Hear it. That's a great guy. Yeah, he, he is. And, again, if you can picture me, in 1969, I was four when uh, he won the Indy 500, and I live in the same house that I grew up in. You know the room that you joke about, yeah. about all my trophies and stuff? The Claudio I was, Shrine. The Claudio <laughs> Shrine. I was in that room, wow. and I heard my mom saying, Andretti Avinciuto, Andretti Avinciuto, Andretti won. And I can still see her where she was and where I was. And here I am, you know, interviewing him and, and you know, connecting with him and writing and stuff like that. Oh, that's and, uh, incredible. He, he's the best. All right, uh, we're going to do the real quick. We're going to come back and talk more about this. But in the meantime, Claudio, let's pay the bills. Okay. Uh, next week, no, yeah, next week, our very special guest, former L.A. Rams Super Bowl quarterback and businessman, wine owner, Mr. Vince Ferragamo will be on uh, the Boxing Authorities with Luther Dupree Jr. and Smokin' Jim Frazier. Check and myself. Check us out on Channelbox. Click on the WBC Live link. The Italian Sports Hall of Fame is August 2nd at the Lamont Restaurant in Mount Washington. Go to Italian Impact Questions at Italian Impact Weekly. Dot com uh, if you want information on that and my shows on claudiorelsano.com listen to interviews with Mario Andretti Vince Ferragamo Dick Vermeil Rocky Blyer Ken Griffey Sr. Jerry Cooney not just all Italians that's this show you can order my book on that uh, channel as well and my other podcast the PA Basketball Coaches Podcast on pa-bca.org and of course if you and uh, May 15th the Celebrity uh, Kids Golf event by hosted by Sid Bream and John Kolb Great guests will be there. Sid will be there. John Cole will be there. Jim Leland, Craig Wolfley. I'll be there for the 22nd consecutive year. And, um, of course, if you miss a show on Thursdays, uh, check us out on ItalianImpactWeekly.com. And we have a new sponsor coming, a major sponsor, A.J. Bambino. Julio's a great guy. But uh, that's it on my end, Steve. Fantastic. We also want to welcome our newer sponsors, Pellucci Plumbing. Again, thanks, Nick and Amy. We appreciate your sponsorship. And, again, you can get their contact information. I've known Nick for about 40 years. Great guy, honest guy, great plumber. If you need any help with him, just give him a call, Pellucci Plumbing. Also, once again, I want to thank Greater Pittsburgh Travel. Tom Deeks planning my vacation, but also plans a lot of people's vacations. So Greater Pittsburgh Travel. Also want to thank the Calabria Club of Pittsburgh. Um, thank you, Domenica, and the, and the folks there with the Calabria Club. Again, we do appreciate your support. 
And I also want to make a little announcement on their behalf. On May 21st at Elm Grove Shelter in Highland Park from 1 to 6 p.m., they will be having a bocce tournament. So again, that's May 21st, Highland Park, 1 to 6 p.m., Calabria Club of Pittsburgh will have in their uh, bocce tournament. And then also I want to thank La Scuola d'Italia Galileo Galilea. Thank you, Angela, and the folks for your support. Again, to be very clear, they are the only nonprofit school here in Pittsburgh. So, uh, again, I highly encourage you to go check out our website. You can link out to their website, see all the events they've got going on. They offer Italian lessons from K through 12 as well as for adult learners at a very good price and, more importantly, very good quality. I've been taking with Angela for a little while now, and I can tell you right now, if she can help me speak Italian, she can help anyone speak Italian. And finally, I want to thank Mark Di Pasquale for City Controller. Let's hear from Mark really quickly. I'm Paul Martino with news about the best qualified candidate for Pittsburgh City Controller, Mark De Pasquale. From a family that's been in public service for three generations, De Pasquale's no newbie. His vast local government experience has provided taxpayers with accountability, transparency, and integrity. The city controller's position is vital. You want a leader like Mark DePasquale at the helm. I'm Mark DePasquale, and it would be an honor to earn your vote. Paid for by DePasquale for city controller. All right, welcome back uh, to the show. Um, again, Mario Andretti, thoughts on the interview? Fantastic. Um, I think uh, the biggest thing I take away from interviews like that is that you kind of nailed it. I had an old boss used to say that too. He said, don't give me the labor pains, just give me the baby. And when people look at what I'm going to call successful people, I'm not talking about people that inherited their money. I mean, these are people that had to work their way up. It's easy to look at it and say, oh, well, so-and-so is a millionaire. That's, it's an easy life. It's like, ah, eh, you don't know what price they paid to get there. I mean, like, you know, I'm sure he's wrecked his car a few times. I'm sure he's had some bad moments a few times. I'm sure he didn't win every race. I'm sure it wasn't smooth sailing. Um, and again, what I was... Um, I, I should have asked him this, but this is one I was interested in was, you know, he was in a, um, the, in, in the camp for like, they said seven years, yeah. if I'm not mistaken, after the <clears> war was over. Years. Blankets were their walls. Right. Separating and, them. you know, he's like, oh, they took us to a race. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering like, wow, what, what, how surreal would that have been? On one hand, you're, you're living in basically a, a camp for refugees and then over here, everything's fine. You know, people are, are celebrating and cars are racing. And you're like, uh, like, I don't want to say it. it. It doesn't create a, it must definitely create a, like, what, what's next? Like, there, there's two different worlds out there, and I'm in this world. And how do I get from this world to that world? And, and obviously his was perseverance, hard work. Yeah, it was focus. He, he, was, he had the blinders on, and um, like he said, there was no plan B. And when you put all your eggs in that basket, Mark Twain said, put all your eggs in that basket and watch that basket, you know, and, and he did. And, um, you know, and, and not to connect myself to it, but that's what I did. I, I, that was it. Baseball was it. There was no plan B. And now there's an act too, just like his with the petroleum business and the other, everything else he does. Um, which is, again, these guys are role models to me. And, and every day, either him or Greg Norman or Alex Rodriguez or George Foreman or Magic Johnson, I read or watch something of them to see how they navigate it. And they're in the sports world, so obviously that attracts me. And, um, and that's what I try to do. I think the other, the other I don't want to say stereotype, because there is, there, there's a, there is some truth to this, the, the, the dumb jock. You know, a lot of, you know, <laughs> I don't know. I can't. I, I, I never like to throw blanket statements no. out. There are a lot of good, smart athletes, and sure. there are some dumb athletes. Sure. But um, 
to sit there and just assume that people can't be successful business out of athletes. They Brand don't have Tarkington's to, another one. Right. They don't have to be broke. <clears throat> no. It's all, like he said, it's all about decisions you make. It's hard to feel, and I'm going to be honest, I kind of agreed with him on this one 100%. When you have millions and millions and millions of dollars, and let's be honest, we like let's we'll just use, we'll pick on the NFL for a minute. These guys get ridiculous amounts of money. And then you're broke. It's like, all right. You clearly weren't thinking about tomorrow, number one. And two, at some point, this is like you've got to have a realization. Even even if you're not a millionaire athlete, every every financial advisor will tell you there's going to come a point where you're going to want to retire, where that your, your peak income is going to stop right. and you are going to have less money. And that's where your investments and, you know, your retirement and your social security and all that stuff kicks in. Well, it's the same thing for athletes. And it's almost like you want to say, did anybody tell you? You weren't going to be a starting, you know, I'm just picking like a linebacker sure. for 50 years and make, you know, $8 million a year over the next 50 years like that. Like, like they just don't know that. And again, I'm picking on NFL, but you get my point. Sure. Uh, that's where fear comes in. Uh, not, not scared to No, it's exact opposite because you are going after things. You are putting your life out there. You are taking risks, calculated risks. But not mentioning names, but there was a fighter out there who used to fight for 30, 32 million in his last fight. His last legitimate fight, I think he cleared $58,000. You know, that you're not always going to be at the top of your game. Again, Greg Norman said, I want to prepare my life for when I'm no longer number one golfer in the world. I've been lucky 40 years straight um, coaching, getting paid the whole nine yards. One of these days, as I said, maybe I don't want to do it. Maybe they're not going to want me. Or maybe somebody's not going to want us. Who knows? My, I'm still young. I'm 58. I'd like to live another 30 years. So what am I going to do? Like he said, Andretti said, and I've heard him say that quote all the time, I'm going to keep at it until they put me in a box. Mm. Okay. And I know I'm never going to actually retire. That's just not me. I can't. I'm going to be doing something. That's why. And for a while there, you know, you want to learn, you don't want to learn how to swim while you're sinking, right? <laughs> True. So um, I, I'm sure. However, trying... people believe in just throwing you in and figuring it out. But I, yeah. I, I, I'd I'm, rather not. Me too. I, I want to prepare for that day um, if it comes, which I eventually, the Bump Phillips used to say there's two kind of coaches, thems who are been fired and thems who are going to get fired, right? <laughs> Hopefully Every, I'm not going to get fired. Everybody at some point. <clears throat> yeah. at some point. But, but the thing is for me is I want to do something that, that I'm excited about. That, and I, I'm excited about doing these shows. I'm excited about, I have a speaking engagement May 10th in Dubois. I'm going to be representing a company, which I'll make an announcement about that soon. Uh, hopefully that's sustainable and consistent. And again, I want my daughter just graduated from college yesterday. Oh, well, congratulations! I, thank you, and and I want to continue to help her as much as I can. Just so my parents help me, and I want to take care of my wife. I want to take care of me. And, and they say, well, you know, uh, money. I, I hate the. I hate when people say, "Oh, you can't take it with you." Well, I'm not trying to take it with me. Right. I need it now. Right. Then the other thing I don't like is they say, "Well, money can't buy happiness." Well, poverty can't either. <laughs> right. So I want to, and, and I'm not one. And I've seen it. People lose everything. And I, right in front of me, I've seen it, literally. And it ain't happening to me. That's why I work very hard at everything. And one more thing to what you said about with Mario, and people think it was easy. I'll never forget one time I was going. This is when I was head coach at Quaker Valley. It was 1988. I was 23. Or no, maybe it was a few years later. I leave my house. I had an Adidas warm-up suit, the whole nine yards. And this guy comes by, and he says, Claudia, I, I want to coach. That's right. I wasn't in high school. I was coaching in college at the time, which I still am. But he said, I want to coach. Now, this guy never, he doesn't know if the baseball is wrapped, stuffed, blowing up with air, nothing. He said, I want to coach. I want to do what you do. 
I see you wearing these Adidas shoes and the white shoes and the whole nine yards. Yeah, that's all I do is just wear Adidas shoes and, and walk out and of play the house. Run DMC, uh, Adidas, and, and, yeah, and Adidas. Yeah, and just just do that. No, I break my I worked my tail off. People think it's fun and games. No, it's it's I'd rather do this than anything else. The shows, writing scripts, performing, wanting our listeners to like what we do, have impact on them. And, and when I speak, I want to have impact on people. When I coach, we got to win. You know, it's pressure. It's pressure. Um, it's I enjoy it, but it's pressure. But I, this guy just made it sound like I just woke up. Here it is. Andretti's got the beautiful home and the trophies. No, you work for it. Right. There's sacrifices. There's a lot of hell. Think about where he came from. He yeah. just told you. You have nothing. Yeah, that's I mean, right. And there, you know, and there are a lot of people. And I think the people... I think that people have it given to them. Don't appreciate don't, they, it. Not at all. And, I, and, and the, the problem with that is they're more likely to end up broke than someone that worked for it. Because when you're poor, that's why it's almost like intelligent people never win the lottery. Sorry. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I went there. But you ever read? Because you always see these shows like, oh, I just want a lot. What am I going to get a giant mansion? Oh, and I'm going to put a gold you know, sprinkler system in. I'm going to do all this insane. It's like anybody with common sense would say... I'm like, if I win the lotto, I'm gonna put so much away in investments. I'm gonna save so much. I'm gonna that's buy right. so many. I'm gonna because that's I'm I'm practical. Yeah. I'm like, this is it hit once, I, and I don't want to be broke again because I know what it's like to be broke. But so I'm gonna make sure I don't look broke. Exactly. But you said poor. Like poor is example, a mental thing. In, yeah. Right. In, right. right. Uh, state of mind. But even with me, I remember my. I said this before. My dad worked in the mill, had a landscape business. My dad went through hell. We'll do that another time. He went through a lot in his life, okay? But he, his main focus was us, right, taking care of us. Well, in 69, he got sick. About two months before, he was going to buy a little hamburger hot dog shop. And I said, oh, my God, we're going to have a hamburger. I was five. We're going to have a hamburger shop. I was going to weigh 500 pounds oh, by the yeah. time he's 10 right, years old. exactly. <laughs> and then, then, um, then he was going to buy a piece of property. We were going to go fishing. And then he got sick. He's told he's going to go blind, have emphysema. He had spots in his lungs, this and that. Long story short, he had none of that, thank God. And if he was here now, he would say my prayers, due to my prayers, he never had any of those things. I didn't know what emphysema was, but I knew what going blind was. And I used to pray he wouldn't go blind. Never did. And um, I wouldn't have the life I have today if it wasn't for my parents, right? But anyway, we didn't miss a beat. We did not miss a beat. There was my mom, my dad. My dad's first wife passed when she was 32. He had two kids with her. So there was, I was home to my mom. So it was my mom, my dad, me, my brother, and my sister, her husband, her son, seven people in that house. We didn't miss a beat. My dad knew how to make a buck and save it. My mom knew how to stretch it and save it. And you never know. Look what happened a couple of years ago with the pandemic. Right. Right. And, and it, it hurt me when I seen people, not that I'm sitting up on top of the hill and looking, no, 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 no. But I, it hurt me and bothered me when people, or suffering and losing things. And like I said, I don't need anything. I don't want anything. I want to keep what I have, fix up what I have, put money away, take care of my family. Larry Holmes, the boxer, once said, they said, who, who would you like to impress? He said, I want to impress my family and my banker. <laughs> That's who he wants to impress. You know? And you know, we're going to have Jerry Cooney on, and he's going to talk about that. Mm -hmm. how, how, did, how did Jerry Cooney, who I don't know exactly, I'm just estimating here, let's say he made in his – you know, three, four big fights, say $20-some million, which now he'd have made a zillion. And he doesn't have to work. He's he's doing great. Jerry is doing great. He was invested in some businesses. Boom, boom, Mancini. He, he didn't make what these guys are making now. He's doing fine um, because they were smart. They were responsible with their money. And we live, I, me and my wife and daughter, we live a fantastic life. We really do. There's nothing 
that a great thing, my wife gets gift certificates from school, you know, for a teacher. And we'll go to Macy's. And she didn't know what to get because, you know. Oh, I'm the same way. And that's great because what do we need? You know, uh, you can always buy crazy stuff. You can always do whatever kind of thing. And, and I just have a fear. And, and but, but at the same time, I enjoy my life. I, I enjoy. Sometimes I'll go to my daughter's room and just look at her and say, thank God I can take care of her. I look at my wife because she goes to bed early. I go to bed late. Thank God she's good. Thank God we're good. And tomorrow, Fran Targington has a quote. Wake up every morning, desperation. And, and that's me. I keep chasing. I keep chasing. And I'm going to keep chasing. And sometimes people criticize me for it, which I don't care. I am. It's very important to me to keep the wolf away from the door. Well, I'll tell you what. You said something else, too. You talk about retirement. And I hear so many people, they say, I want to I make a lot of money so I can retire. And it's like, I've said this before. I'll say it again. It's like, what are you going to do? Yeah, exactly. What are you going to do? You know, and I think what I like about a lot of these athletes, to your point, is they don't have to do this. And it's not, it's not even about the money. Yeah, yeah, of course they. Who you know they want to get rich. Got it. But they're already rich. You know, I mean, they don't. Have, there's there's something else beyond that. And I and I kind of get that because that's one thing I've come to the conclusion. I used to be like that. I want to retire, so I never have to work again. I'm like, I'd go crazy. Yeah. I'd go nuts. I I don't want to do that. I just don't want to have to work. I don't mind work. Especially when you, if you're doing something do you're what pa- you want to do. Right. If you're doing something you're passionate about, is it even work at that point? Yeah, it's work because it's effort to put into it. But at least you enjoy doing it. I think those are the people, in my opinion, that is success. You know, you can have $20 million doing that. And this is where I mean. You don't have to be rich to do that. But if you're in a position where you can do what you want to do and you're not desperate, like, ah, I got to go out and do this job because if I don't, I don't eat – that's to me. That's that's a different kind of poor. And you don't need it, an alarm clock, right? Yeah, right. Like, like with with going to the show, doing this show. I'm here. Joe will tell you, our great producer Joe Hale. Um, I'm here way early because I enjoy it. I can't wait. Can't wait the, to see my the, smiling the, face. You too. I, I enjoy you. being with you, Luther and uh, Jim. Love seeing them for the boxing show. I, that, that's you know. I'm, I got a speaking engagement next week. Can't wait. Um, you know, not, not, it's not, can't wait to coach. Can't wait. To, but, but so I, I have it great. But again, it's, it is important to me. Like Mario said, yeah, he, he enjoyed racing, but he went for the big check. Okay. He wanted to take care of his family and he has, and, and his son, Michael's doing fantastically well. And, and uh, the whole family is a success. And it's that mindset of, you know, it's not greed. It's, it's wanting to take care of your family, of your situation and give like with my parents, again, here I was eight years old. They didn't, they never told me, well, there's a time frame for you, for you to make this happen. They flat out told me when I was eight, August 19th, 1973, they said, whatever we can do to make you, to, to give you every opportunity in the world to make your dreams come true, we will. And they did. As I got older and I was rejected or I didn't do well or whatever the case was, I said, that's okay. You didn't get the job. That's all right. Keep at it. Keep at it. We're here for you. Not that I sat home, ate popcorn and did nothing. I worked with my dad in the landscape business and I still went after this baseball dream until finally 2001, I, I got my first and my, my, my pro job that I still have. But I was coaching and all that kind of stuff. But that wasn't the big score. That wasn't what I, that wasn't the goal. But um, uh, so that's what I do with my daughter. She graduated yesterday. Now she just got the head coaching job at Montour for color guard. Now she may move into another position there. Then another. Then maybe a foot. So there's a little bit more of a path. With me, there wasn't a path. But my parents were there. Linda and I are there for our daughter. 
and and you know give her every opportunity in the world to be successful and she's doing a great job thus far and like with your kids that's that's what it's supposed to be that's what right. you're supposed to do well he I, again kind of a final thought as we're kind of getting close to the end but um you know that not having a plan b that's hard for a lot of people because yeah. it takes a lot of courage to say you know what i'm going both feet in you know it's like i tell my kids I say, when you're whether you're young you're single you got you Take, why not? Why not go for it? Why not go for it? This is the time to take the shot. You know, not that you can't do it when you're older and married or whatever, but my point is, though, is I think that's not everybody that takes the shot becomes successful. No. But at least they don't have, it's just one thing I've always said, and I've always said just my kids, I tell the same thing, I said, don't have regrets in life. That's the biggest thing. Don't have regrets. Don't be afraid to do something. You know, you may not, to, 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 you know, Mario said, you know, you may not win the race every single race. And again, he didn't win every single race. But if you don't get in the seat and at least take a shot, you're definitely not going to win. That's the old, the old Gretzky quote. You know, remember the only right. the only goal you don't score is the one you know you, you don't, don't take, take a shot, right? right. You know, so it's the same principle. And I think a lot of people just lack that courage to just jump in and do it. And you know, if you don't make it, you don't make it. But the worst thing you want to be is 70, 80 years old sitting around going, I coulda, woulda, shoulda, but I didn't. That's right. And I already have those. And I tell my kids, I'm young, well, relatively young, and I have some of those. But at the same time, there are some things I said, screw it, I'm going to go do it. You know, I started, to your point, I started, I was 17 years old. My dad signed for me to go in the Navy. I just turned 18, went off to boot camp. I never looked back. You know, I didn't have a college degree or nothing. Went to school at night, you know, persevered on my own, paid it on a credit card, did all those, just, just said, F it, I'm going to do it. You know what I mean? I just did it. And I just pushed through it. You know, when you get my doctorate, I just said, I'm going to do it. You know, I was, yeah. I was working full time. I was teaching part time. It can I be done. Still, and, and you know what? To your point, I'm, I'm, I have free time. There's always time. Make time. If you want to do it, do it. You and didn't I think, mess around. You didn't do the wrong no, that's thing. Right. I'm not saying I had a perfect life. Believe me, no, I don't have a perfect no, life. But no, my point was, when I decided I was going to do something, I just did it. And I think, and I, and there, but there are some things, even I look back and go, mm -hmm. I wish I could have done that. I should have done that. I would have done that. And I think a lot of people, again, this is kind of our message to people is you got to bury that fear and you got to just go in both feet because if you don't do that, and I've said this to my students, in fact, I, in fact, I just said this a few weeks ago to them. I said, you are going to regret the decisions you don't make because if you yeah. don't put the time and the effort in, if you don't sacrifice now, you won't have it later. So, you know, everybody wants it now thinking that it's magic. Hence, hence why everybody wants free stuff. I want free school, free money, free this, free, free, free. It's like, what does it mean to you? Mm -hmm. You know, I, I think you got to just jump in, do it and earn it. Take your punches, keep moving. And when it's all said and done, because there's the worst thing is youth is wasted on the young <laughs> because they don't know when they're older that you, everyone does this. Everyone looks back at their life. And the worst thing you can do is say, coulda, woulda, shoulda, did that. John Wayne said, uh, courage is being scared to death, but saddling up anyway. Yeah, exactly. You know, going in. Now, some people may say I'm, I'm being hypocritical because of all the different funnels of income that I do and all the different things. No, I'm, but I'm still doing baseball. I just yeah. added more to my portfolio. So. And we're going to talk about that yeah, in future definitely. shows because, again, we do want to, you know, this is. want to have impact. Right. We want to have impact in your life. We want you, if you're listening to us right now, our goal is for you to be successful. You know, there's enough. Um, I'll say it gently. You know, there's a lot. There's enough people in this world that don't have any direction. If we can fix our little corner of the world, which is you, our listeners, and see if we can help you become a better person, hey, that's that's hey, my way of said, giving back. So many people have had impact in exactly. my life, and and we hope it's to our do turn. that to people. Yeah. For sure. All right. Again, uh, I want to thank uh, our guest, obviously the great Mario Andretti. Yeah. 
Um, I'm going to thank you all for listening. Thank Claudio. you. Appreciate it. We really appreciate all the listeners. Next week, Vince Ferragamo, L.A. Rams uh, quarterback, former quarterback. Um, I wish he was still quarterback. And um, as always, thank you, Linda, Ida, and my wonderful parents, Olindo and Ida. Awesome. And again, thank you all for listening. Thanks, Hank Eduardo, for the music. As you always, if you want to hear some great music, if you want Hank to perform for you, check him out on Facebook. That's Hank Eduardo. Again, if you missed the interview or if you want to listen to it again, please go out and check out our site, italianimpactweekly.com. We also have our sponsors out there. And as always, we want to thank our sponsors. And if you are interested in sponsoring us because you like what we're doing, please email us at questions at italianimpactweekly.com. Again, grazie mille per tutto, and thank you all for listening. <laughs>